You're listening to the Bitching and Bolusing Podcast with Courtney and Brittany. Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Bitching and Bolusing Podcast. I'm Brittany. And I'm Courtney. Today, we are chatting with Lillian Elmore. Lillian is a 20-something, glitter-loving, caffeine-addicted, motivational speaker and micro-influencer with cerebral palsy. Lillian enjoys using her platform to shift the mindset from pitying disabled people to empowering them and honoring their perspective. Lillian has been a guest speaker at multiple elementary schools where she helps educate and inform young children about disability and diversity. She truly has a positive impact on everyone she meets, and we are so excited to have her here on the show today. Thanks for joining us, Lillian. You just made me turn like a freaking tomato. You probably can't see it, but I am now a tomato, so thank you. Thanks for coming on the show, Lillian, and happy birthday. Thank you. Yes, happy birthday, 21. 21. So excited. <laughs> happy birthday, and we're so happy to have you here. And Lillian, do you want to talk to us a little bit? Tell us about yourself. Oh, and- gosh. Yeah. Um, I'm, well, I'm a 20-something um, kid originally from Massachusetts, but I go to school in North Carolina at High Point University, which is this teeny tiny school about 15 minutes away from Greensboro, if anyone knows where that is. Um, I'm in a sorority, and I'm just kind of trying to figure out things as I go. I'm in, like, a million extracurriculars. It's wild. I have, like, known everywhere. They're like, that's Lillian in Fenway. I have a service dog. His name's Fenway, and he's the spiciest of spicy. Oh, I love Fenway. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so spicy. He's like, he loves cuddles, but if you don't give him enough attention, he'll, like, sigh and roll his eyes. I'm like, you are the freeloader here. <laughs> like, you have nothing to be sighing about. <laughs> I would love to meet Fenway, by the way. Your college experience sounds just so perfect from the perspective of just doing the college thing. Yeah. How does that yeah. feel? Just kind of being out on your own. And let's honestly, I don't necessarily want anybody to in any way do that like inspirational thing where it's like, well, look mm. at Lillian. Yeah. She's disabled. She oh goes to college. I've gotten that so much. I'm sure no, you have, sure, my dear. Yeah. But you, you're you just doing your thing. Like, what is college like, girl? It's wild. It's something out of a dream. And I mean that in the best way. I mean, sometimes it feels like I'm like the duck on top of the water with my legs paddling furiously. <laughs> it really depends on the week. But I have a really awesome community and support system at school, and I love what I'm learning about. So those are the two most important things that I could I could ask for in a college experience. I yeah, love that that's so awesome. much. That's amazing. So you're loving the sorority. Oh, they're so much fun. Yeah, that's that's so great. And yeah. you had, I'm sorry, what is the, you had a, a girl below you, right? Like you were. Yes, yeah. I have a little. A little. Her name is <laughs> a Paige. A little. If she's listening to this, hi, Paige, I love you. Um, and hi, she's Paige. Just, hi, Paige. She's just the <laughs> cutest thing ever, and I love her so very much. That's so awesome. I love that. I love that you're having a great time. See, I only did like a year of college, and I was a flunk out. So <laughs> hey, everyone has their own journey. How did it feel going from Massachusetts and having to pack up and go so far you're so far from oh home. Oh, God. It was definitely an experience. Like, that first semester, I cried every single day. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you manage and you learn how to fly by the seat of your pants and just 
throw stuff out there and hope it's st- <laughs> <laughs> um, that's basically what I did my first year, and it's what I'm still doing now. I just have more stuff that actually stuck to the wall versus me. <laughs> you figured it out along the way, right? That is genuinely the college experience, especially when you go out of state or you travel. It's it's a lot yeah. of just gotta just go. Just yeah, gotta go, go totally. do your thing, you know? There's totally. no if ands, or buts about it. My parents, like, they, they're not gonna fly up every time I have, like, a minor inconvenience, so I gotta figure it out somehow. That must be tough for them, though, right? It is. Especially my mom. Like, she... You know, she's the typical mom of a disabled child. Like, she wants to, you know, make sure that everything is good and, like, fight for me till the till she can't. Yeah. She can't always. We kind of almost want to keep you guys in, like, little bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> we know we can't. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely been her, the struggle for her. My dad's like, you got this, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, go like, dad. Yes. <laughs> now, have you had to experience or face um, any roadblocks going to college? And with that's a loaded question. It is a loaded question. I know because yeah, it's a loaded question, right? I mean, obviously, everyone experiences roadblocks yeah. when they go to college. So I just more had the typical roadblocks of like trying to find my way because, like I said, the community of uh, High Point has been. Absolutely amazing, and I could not ask for, like, better advisors, better faculty, better, you know, students to be learning by. So my roadblocks are more just, like, that of the typical college student. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm sure from, like, an accessibility perspective or inclusive perspective, it's probably no different. The roadblocks you experience, whether you're in college or at home, they're still kind of very, they're the same. It's the world that's inaccessible or, you know, not inclusive. So from that understanding, I totally get what you're saying. You're, You're really just... Typical college roadblocks, you know, like growing into an adult sort of roadblocks. You get the vibes. Okay. But also don't rush it because... (laughs) We're such moms right now. Once you're there, there's no turning back. It's okay. I have my own mother that does the same (laughs) thing. Like, please, I don't need more. (laughs) Lillian, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about pity to perspective. Oh, goodness. I did have a chance to actually listen to your keynote speech. Um, I found it on your profile. I have to say, it got me really emotional. (laughs) I was telling Brittany, I was like, I was tearing up. (laughs) Why, thank you. It's such a powerful speech, and you're such a powerful person. So to have you deliver it in the way you deliver it, it it really hit me hard. Thank you. I want to instill that confidence and that mindset into my son. So to see you project that was like, hell yeah. So tell us a little bit about Pity to Perspective. Okay, so it started because I'd heard it all my life. Like, oh my God, your life must be so hard. I'm so sorry. And so when I got older, it started to mess with my head a little bit. And I was like, is something wrong with me because I'm living a happy life? Am I supposed to be sad all the time? And it like really got into my head and like made me feel really weird. And then I eventually got over that and I was like, you know what? No, I don't want to be sad all the time. I want to be happy. And so then I would start getting into fights with grown men, like verbal altercations with grown men that every time they'd say that, I'd be like, I'm not sorry about my life. And they'd be like, oh, but your life is so hard. And then I'd be like, how about you? Is your life hard? Yeah, right? Like, let's see. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> life is hard. It's such a valid point. Yeah. And yeah. then so you have taken that and you've come up with this amazing talking point over over it. 
and you go to elementary schools and you talk to the kids. <sighs> the kiddos, I love them. How does that resonate with them? I think they just find it cool because they like I'm like older than them, so I'm cool and you know not intimidating, and they just but like I'm not like super old where I'm like a grown up, so. <laughs> I think they they find it cool. I wanted to get your perspective on the pity versus, oh, I don't see your disability concept. And allow me to explain a little bit better. Because sometimes what happens is I find we always get the pity perspective. We always get, if I mention in any form of sentence where it's like my son's disabled, immediately I get the I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Automatically. And my response is always, okay, you don't need to be sorry. That's cool. But no, you know, but uh, you also then get people who are hearing a lot of this discussion that, you know, why are we pitying? And and Mm. it's unnecessary. It does harm. So then they try to adjust how they approach and they do this thing of, well, I don't see the disability. I just see a little Mm. boy. Or I don't see the disability. I just see, you know, a a college student. And, And I feel like from my perspective, that's still quite problematic because you're then still not seeing the person. Or you're not solving the accessibility issues, right? It's like, let's ignore that too. It's minimizing <laughs> it. I'd prefer them not to see it versus pitying me, but overall I want them to acknowledge it because if my friends and I like go somewhere and they're like, I don't see the disability, like then I might be in an accessible situation, in a not so accessible situation mm-hmm. because they for, you know they forget about the disability. Thankfully, I've never had that happen because all my friends are wonderful and they always make sure that wherever they go is accessible and that we could take my 100-year-old looking car. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that because it helps me kind of process a few things. So my uncle I grew up with, he has spastic cerebral palsy as well. And shockingly, though, my family took the route of, well, we don't really see the disability, if that makes sense. And it's embarrassing, but I've never considered how that makes him feel until Lino, because my whole life, here is this man who is clearly disabled. I didn't even know he had cerebral palsy. That's how much my family kind of not Mm. hit it, but didn't talk about it. Holy whoa. Until I had Lino. Now, mind you, he's in his 60s. And until I had Lino, I then realized it turned to my dad and was like, so like Uncle Brian has cerebral palsy. (laughs) Now, this man has been in my life. My whole life. Like, it's something that was really eye-opening. And and to hear you say that is is very true, that if you don't see the disability, you do wind up in situations where it could be inaccessible. Mm. You know, like, there's so many situations that I think back with my uncle, how many times we didn't put into thought that, like, stairs are hard for him. Mm. Or, you know, like, all these situations. Yeah, right? See? Mm. (laughs) So it, I really appreciate your perspective on that. You know, I want to remind people that not seeing the disability could be equally as harming as pitying. Yeah. So I guess the balance would be acknowledging the disability where it counts. So like mm-hmm. when there's like a situation where, you know, you need to acknowledge it. And other than that, just treat me like everyone else. Yeah, you yeah. are who you are. Yeah. 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 It's always like I have gotten the comments in the past of people saying that about Cyrus. Like, mm. I don't see the disability. I just, and, and that's fine. Like, I, you know, from a social media perspective, I guess if I do just post a picture of him, you know, at the zoo or this or that, like, that's okay. 
But to go through that for everyone all the time when it comes to the accessibility issues, when it comes to the equity issues, it doesn't help yeah, anyone. No, it doesn't help. I and mean, the disability is how I met Cyrus, so I yeah. wouldn't want to take it away from him. Exactly. Because it's exactly. how I met him, and I would have never met this spicy little nugget. <laughs> He's so spicy. <laughs> he really is so spicy. But it's true. I mean, that that's so valid is that without his disability, you guys wouldn't have met, and he wouldn't have met the amazing people that he has in his life right now. Oh, yeah. He wouldn't have lived the experiences that he lived, for better or worse, but... I want people to see Cyrus for Cyrus, and I always say it's like, there's Cyrus, and that's that's him, and then there's the disability. Yeah. It does come into play for accessibility issues and yeah. insurance and getting equipment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a nightmare. <laughs> I wanted to backtrack just a little bit because we were just talking about how not necessarily not seeing the disability, but only kind of seeing it when it, it it applies to see it and you do these uh kind of keynote speaking events with children what are some of the things you would give to parents and caregivers how they can communicate with their own kids and also maybe not even just parents and caregivers of disabled children but just parents in general uh how they can engage with Mm. their children about disability acceptance allowing open and honest conversations about it is the first thing so Usually I have kids in public come up to me and be like, what's wrong with her mommy? And the mom's like, shh, shh, like, don't, don't talk about that. And then I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. They can come up and say hi. And so usually they do. And they'll ask you a couple questions about the wheelchair. And then they'll start being like, what's your favorite color? And so like after two questions, it's like not a thing anymore. It's not that they don't see it. It's just that they've had their questions kind of acknowledged, so they don't need to talk about it anymore. And I think that's great. And some people aren't going to want people to do that. I'm just a very open person, but I know a lot of disabled people that would rather not talk about how they became disabled or why they're in a chair or whatever because it associates them with a lot of trauma. So I say if they don't want to talk about it, leave them alone, but that shouldn't deter you from asking, asking questions. That's a good Mm -hmm. point, too. Yeah. What would some of the verbiage you would recommend using so that parents don't instill unintentionally sometimes, but that they don't instill pity into their kids about disability? Just like, Mm -hmm. isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Like, Mm. look at what she could do. Isn't that cool? And like, go say hi. And then if they're like, why? They like, go ask her. Yeah, I do have a lot of parents of non-disabled children ask me yeah. what they can do for their kids to, to h- how they approach it. I'm like, well, I'm not disabled. But, you know, if somebody approached Cyrus, I would just want them to be nice. And I always say, you know, equipment isn't anything for kids to ever be afraid of, right? It's it's a tool. It's like no different really than putting on your shoes. Like you use your shoes to walk outside and you use a wheelchair to walk to go outside. Exactly. That's kind of why I hate the term yeah. wheelchair bound because I always tell people you're not stuck to your shoes. Why am I stuck to my wheelchair? Yeah, that that word drives me nuts. Oh, it drives me insane. I'm like, I am not stuck to my chair. It is not physically glued to my body. I have a (laughs) seatbelt. And it it allows you so much independence and freedom. And I mean, you're going out with the girls in the sorority. And living your life because of that tool too. I hate when people say that about Cyrus. Lillian, I don't know if you'd want to talk about this, but what are some of the things that you think in your own childhood that 
maybe were done really well from a parenting perspective in, in guiding you and maybe could have been different. And this isn't a way to like attack your parents or anything like that. Honestly, it is more to make us better parents and everybody listening. I don't think my parents really did anything that I would change. Like I would not change my childhood because it was very much like the disability's there, but it's a cool thing. And look at all these things you can do with our help and with these accommodations. So I, if I wanted to climb a tree, my parents would help me f- climb a freaking tree. They, they made sure I could do everything I wanted to do. If I wanted to play tag, we'd modify the game of tag. And it was very just like, Okay, if you want to do this, you get to go do this. It was never limiting. Yeah, that makes me feel a little bit better because I feel like that's what I do. But I'm always questioning if I'm doing right by Lino. You know, I always feel this pressure and I'm always terrified that I am going to... I mean, parents feel this no matter what, but I always feel like I'm going to mess my kids up. You're not messing your kids up. And that's because... You're doing things like this. You're listening to disabled voices. You're putting yourself out there and you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable and to learn. And that's really all we can do in any situation where we're not in that group of people. Anti-racism, for example. I've had to do a lot of learning about anti-racism and it's scary and freaking uncomfortable. But we get there and we learn and we're happy we learned after we learn. Can I bottle that response up and just like replay it or something like over and over As a motivational speaker, I just think you have such a a brilliant way of approaching topics and difficult topics. I want you to acknowledge how absolutely fucking awesome that is because it's really hard. This life is hard. Whether you have a disability or not, life is just hard. How you kind of have a a positive attitude affects everything around you. It's just true, right? And it's not easy to be positive. And this is the case with everybody. Mm. It's really not easy to be positive, but you just have such a brilliant way of looking at things. And it, it really is, it, it's phenomenal. I'm going to bottle off that response. <laughs> Lillian, I think it's just what Courtney said, but also the way that you speak and the way that you approach other people is so judgment-free and it's the greatest thing because the way that you handle this particular topic you know that these issues exist because you faced these issues but you're you're not judging the people necessarily that have pitied you or anything like that you're just educating them and saying there's no need for this it's not my place to judge them to be honest because if I were to do that they'd get like, oh, maybe I shouldn't come up to a disabled person at all. Yeah. Or maybe I shouldn't talk to a disabled person at all. Because mm. sometimes they get the stereotype that we're angry disabled people. Mm. And I just, I don't want to perpetuate that stereotype because it is so not true. Like, all of my friends that I met that have disabilities are, like, the most joyous people I've ever met. Even Cyrus is just, like, this... I don't really know we know as well as I know Cyrus, so sorry for buttering up <laughs> Cyrus and, and not... Lena, but even Cyrus is just this joyous, funny, spicy kid. And, like, disability or not, that's just who he is. And I don't want people to, like, close them, close themselves off from that because that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I always tell people, I always say, there's 
no need to be sad or or sorrowful over Cyrus's disability because he is the happiest four and a half year old I've ever met in my life and like he just loves life so much and he's just I mean he's spicy spicy as hell but (laughs) and confident and brave like he he does not doubt his abilities at all that kid oh, no. he's like, he's like uh, hell no ego? i'm doing it and i i really do hope that that sticks with him his whole life you know i hope that he goes through life and i know courtney and i touched on this where we're always just really hoping we're doing the best for our kids but i hope he goes through life loving himself loving his yeah. disability having this massive ego that he should have being so proud of who he is but also you know, putting people in their place if they have to be put in their oh, place. Oh, yeah. And just having the confidence to call that out and just be like, there's no need. This is, There's no need for this. Yeah, I definitely, I really want to build a pathway for Lino and for Cyrus, for all these kids, to be honest, to not have their personalities extinguished, you know, to not have that flame kind of diminished because they think the world can be so harsh and so complicated that sometimes that does happen. And and it's so, yeah, it's so unfortunate. And it's, it's messed up. You touched on that, Lillian, saying, you know, you were getting all of this pity and it was starting to mess with your head and all that because that's not your life. I mean, how, how did you overcome that yourself? Uh, well, mostly just by continuing to do what I was doing. And I was like, you know what? I love my life, so I'm not going to take this anymore. Do you think also that there is some element of undying and unreserved support from your parents to just be like, Lily, oh, yeah. you want to climb that tree? We're climbing that effing tree. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they'll have to tell me to stop pitying myself because I'll get into like this pity party moments because... Not going to say that, like, this life is all puppies and, and unicorns and rainbows. They'll be like, get out of bed. We're going to do something fun. And then, like, an hour later, I'll already feel, like, so much better. Or, like, even my friends and caregivers at school, like, will do the same thing. They'll listen to me and they'll be like, I I see how you feel, but tomorrow's a new day and you, you can't be sad tomorrow. You can be sad for the rest of the night, but tomorrow morning's a new day and you're going to go out and kill it. I love that. That's amazing advice for anybody. Yeah, you're. I've met your mom briefly once. I want you guys to have dinner and drinks because <laughs> you, you all would get along so well. <laughs> and I would love that because coming from the, the parenting yeah. side of things, just talking to her would be amazing. What's the age difference between you and your sister? We're a year and a half apart. So no she's way. like 22 and a half. So close to our boys. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is that I was the younger sibling and she was the older sibling, which is a lot different from both of you. But about the same age. I'm also curious about your parents' perspective from that because I, I think it is also a little different to have your first child not have a disability obviously they're very similar but i think that's a different perspective to be honest i've never asked them about it (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure you haven't it's more of like a mom thought it's a mom thought they treat us pretty equally i feel like the siblings get a get a bad rap like the glass children Mm. and i'm saying that in quotes because yeah that's just what it's called not because i'm trying to be sarcastic or whatever but the siblings get such a like kind of a lot of them get screwed over and my sister like I've had honest and open conversations with her about this because I'm always worried that like 
she grew up resenting me and we've had conversations where she's like you know what i love the adventures we've gotten to go on like i don't resent you at all and i think that's really because my parents made a like equal time for the both of us and b they made doing cp related things and taking care of me fun and so now when my sister has to step up and do the caregiving role like she makes it fun we go and get burritos like i love a good burritos are fun (laughs) yeah (laughs) you should go to felipe's in cambridge if you're ever in cambridge so good there's another place in waltham that's right near napa called taqueria el amigo and during my intensives i would go there at least once a week to get tacos after my intensives i'm doing that when we go i wonder what what your perspective is on intensives and i Mm. I had this interaction on facebook once it actually was an interesting interaction because the it was a mother of a disabled child but she herself was also disabled and had cerebral palsy and it was a comment in a group cerebral palsy support group that i'm in in facebook and it was a comment where a, a parent was like uh posting a photo of the letter from the her child's doctor saying that they don't think a napa intensive is beneficial to her child that's so messed up it it is so from my perspective immediately because my own personal experiences i assume that the provider was being difficult and not helping support the mother and the child and that's because that's happened to me where i've had to advocate even switch providers to get what i know is going to help lena so i responded in like kind of very simple words of just like hey i'm like just sorry like just support for the mother having to have this challenge And this other mother who is disabled herself and has a disabled child came at me immediately uh, with a response that I'm not understanding how hard intensives are. And if the provider thinks that it's not appropriate for the child, then I should respect that. And she wasn't wrong from what she was trying to say, but it sparked this thought in me of like, how do you feel about intensives and how do you feel about these kids doing them? And parents do definitely sometimes push these kids they when do. it might there not are, be appropriate. Yeah, there are some kids that do like 10 Ooh, this, is, this is loaded. Okay, because I've, I've been the oldest in my intensive groups for like the longest of times. And the parents would like get me free food because they'd feel bad that I was there all by myself. It's great. It was it was a vibe. With all the screaming kids and like everyone sneezing and coughing because everyone somehow gets sick during intensives. And then Lillian's just like <laughs> So they'd always give me like gifts and free food. So love that. Love that they would do that. They were great. But for me it's really about knowing your kid and knowing that your kid is the only person that can tell you what benchmarks they're gonna reach. Mm-hmm. I would say try an intensive first and then like wait a year if, they, if it just doesn't seem to work because it doesn't work for everybody. Some kids yeah. can't deal with that kind of intensity. Like even for me, intensives are hard emotionally mm-hmm. because yeah. for me, at least this is my experience. I don't know if this is Lino and Cyrus's experience, but I hope it's kind of similar. My body is telling me whatever position they're putting me in is wrong. So mm-hmm. it is trying to fight me to get back to the positions that it knows. It is trying to fight me to not be in those positions, to not do the exercises, and that is exhausting. Because when you're trying to tell, like, no, this is right, you're basically trying to reteach your body how to do everything mm. that it was already supposed to know. And so it can be mentally taxing. I did two intensives somehow back-to-back 
one after the other, and I don't agree on doing that because there was an insurance mix-up. <laughs> so oh. I, I would never do back-to-back intensive ever again because that was crazy. Yeah. Every time I got into the neuro suit, I would throw like the biggest tantrum. And I'm like a like a teenager at this point. Like seventeen year olds should not be throwing tantrums. But the neuro suit was just my least favorite part. So I just feel like I cannot move, and I don't want to do. But I'd do it anyway because mentally I'd be like, I don't want to stay in this dumb suit forever. So I just push through and and do the exercises, and then be like, thank goodness I got out of it. It is so exhausting. Cyrus is always just so burnt out from it. And this is another interesting question that I want to ask you is that I'm sure you've done therapy your whole entire life. And was there a shift from when you're really little, like Cyrus's age, right? You have to do therapy out of necessity. I mean, therapy is out of necessity your whole life, right? Because it creates confidence, comfort, you know, stretching, things like that. But was there ever a shift where it was this forced activity? When I got to college, that was when the shift happened. Mm. When I got to college, I was like, you know what? I don't really want to do, like, intense, intense therapy. I'll do a little bit of stretching, Mm -hmm. but I don't really want to go to see a new person weekly. Like, there's just no point because they're just going to give me the same exercises that I already know how to do. Mm. So why bother? Mm -hmm. And people always were like, but don't you want to go back to therapy? And it's like, yeah, like, uh, maybe it's someday, but right now I just want to be a young adult and enjoy being a college student and not being a college student with cerebral palsy because that was my life for so long, being this person with so many other things and cerebral palsy, and I'd push everything else aside to make room for intensives and therapies and this and that and this and that, and I was just like, I don't want to have to do that in school I want to be involved in a sorority like I want to have all these extracurriculars I want to be able to have the schedule to go out with friends whenever I want and so I said you know what? I'm just gonna keep my therapy regimen a lot more low-key and I'm sure you know your body too and, yeah. and when you're gonna yeah. have to start you know therapy again and all that yeah. and do you think it's important for parents to encourage their kids to do activities and therapy for themselves like for instance with Cyrus there are certain things he'll have to do because of, you know, mobility and all that. But I want Cyrus to do what he wants to do for himself. Not for me, not for his father. That's a big question. It's a big question because part of me is like, I don't want Cyrus to feel like what he does isn't good enough. He's going to have a whole life of forced activity. I want him to do what he wants to do for him. Not to necessarily make me proud. I mean, if the like the pride for me yeah. is the result of that, then I'm proud of him for everything oh, he does. That's it. That's a, see. That's a difficult question because there's so much involved. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but I think just telling Cyrus like why he needs to do the therapy and how it helps him when he gets a little older, mm-hmm. and like telling him that if he wants to take a break from therapy, like allowing him to set those boundaries early on so that therapy doesn't feel like a forced activity. Mm. It's a really thin line. Mm. I've I've started transitioning with that when he had an intensive in November. We started seeing some behavioral stuff coming out from that intensive and it kind of clicked in me and I was like he's getting therapy burnout. Yeah. And it it was translating a lot to school. So they were pulling him out obviously for one-on-one OTPT speech. And I was like I think he just wants to be a kid. You know, his nurse was saying he was kind of 
not participating in therapy when he was getting pulled out. And I was like, yeah, because he's leaving his friends. Yeah, I wouldn't either. And he wants to hang out with his friends and he wants to do circle time and centers. Like, I don't blame the kid. And so I had to, during his IEP meeting, I was like, listen, half of speech I want him pulled out for because there's a lot of distractions with that and that's understandable. I was like, but all of his other services, transition it to inside the classroom. Help him in his gate trainer, help him in his stander, help him do all of this with his friends. Yeah, my OT was great in that she'd allow me to have friends come to our OT sessions. So it was never like Lillian's by herself. My elementary school OT was great about doing that. And so I never felt therapy burnout until I did those two back-to-back intensives. (sighs) And I was like, holy moly. That's a lot. The segregation at school is so frustrating, not just in terms of therapy, but it really is frustrating because segregation is not equality. And I think they yeah. they tend to forget this, that they just kids. It bothers me. Yeah. And they just want to be doing kid things yeah. at school, yeah. <laughs> you know, and With I think friends. as parents, I think as parents, like you're saying, Brit, how, you know, initially the IEP had him being pulled out all the time. Mm-hmm. That's currently what Lino's IEP looks like and it's been something I've been grappling with because Mm -hmm. I am so fed up of like this kid's day being interrupted and I hear back from his school nurse who's with him obviously every second of the day when he's there and she's like yeah they pull him out for PT and he's like uh you know yeah that was Cyrus yeah yeah, he's like why you know yeah it gets easier in middle school and high school because they have designated times where you don't need to be physically pulled away from something Ah. and in elementary school I didn't really have that as much of a problem as much because my parents fought for, like, Lillian to do everything with her friends. Mm-hmm. and Which is, like, kind of, you know, ahead of their... No, I'm not going to say ahead of their time. But, yeah, a little bit ahead of their time. So to hear now that kids in 2023 are still being segregated from their friends just oh, drives me crazy. Yeah. It's so frustrating. And in our case, Lena was fully segregated outside of public school. Mm. His public school, his district immediately was like, no. We're going to send him here. Oh, I have so many words. Yes. It is very aggravating. And I have this conversation a lot with Brittany because I lean on Brittany for advice as to whether I should fight and advocate for him to go to public school. But there's this constant fear because if the school district already feels like they can't handle him, what is that really saying? But then change doesn't occur if you don't fight back and advocate. So it's like this, ugh. I think it really depends on the district. So I think finding a district that is a little more willing to figure out those accommodations might be a a good choice. Um, Because I think from what you've been saying, that your current district just doesn't even want to try. Oh, they didn't try at all. Exactly. (laughs) They did his assessment, quote unquote. (laughs) And they were just like, oh, yeah, we we think Lena would be better suited at a specialized school. Yeah. Yeah, so I think... Finding a district that's willing to think outside the box and really, like, not bend the rules, but, you know, make exceptions and make the proper accommodations is what's going to be important if you want him to go to a public school. I, I want him to have, and I I always say this because I really hate the word, but I want him to have a normal childhood at school as much as possible. No, and that makes complete sense. And I feel like the way that he is currently and despite him being pulled out for his therapies during class, he's already segregated. He's not Mm. he's not interacting with any kids that are not disabled. Yeah. Mm. You know, he's already in a situation where I feel like he's being isolated and that is segregation is not equality. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's not. And I think it's really about finding somebody that agrees with you and finding a district that is willing to compromise because clearly your district is not willing to compromise. Yeah, that was my thing is that when we were starting the transition, we were told while Cyrus was still in early intervention that the district we're in generally doesn't take kids with the scope of Cyrus's disability. So we were expecting them to like, you know, transfer him out. They came to us with such open arms and they were like, we're going to try to do whatever we can for him. And we're going to That's the kind of district you need. Yes. I grappled a lot with the public school and sending Cyrus to a specialized school, right? Because I do know Cyrus, there's one other disabled kid in his class. But like, you know, there's not a lot within the school itself. We're a very small community. We're kind of out in the woods, so... (laughs) And so I grappled a lot with that, but I sat back and I, I kind of just came to the conclusion that I want Cyrus to go to a school that wants Cyrus. Yeah. And it's not to say it's been easy peasy, lemon squeezy. <laughs> no, it definitely hasn't. And I know friends that have gone to, to those, you know, schools for people with disabilities and have thrived and have absolutely yeah. loved it. But for me, I'm, I'm just not the person that would want to do that. And I think that at least an experience with public school would be good. Because if you don't like it, you can always switch it back. Like, there's no there's no one telling you you could. That's what most of my friends who went to schools for disabled people did. They tried public school, didn't like it, went to the disabled person school. But I think at least finding a public school to give him a chance to figure it out to figure that out if it's the best decision for him would be a good idea. I think that's a good point. It's really good for the non-disabled kids, too. I mean, yeah. Yeah. there's such this, like, love around Cyrus it just radiates that all of his his classmates are like oh and now like they're you know exposed to kids like exactly exactly and that's kind of why I do part of what I do because a lot of the schools I go to have disabled children in them and so when they see me and they're like she's cool so Betty must be cool because Betty's also disabled and I'm gonna go talk to Betty. Ah, oh, I love that. Yeah, I do love that. And I think it's absolutely amazing just what you're doing and and talking to these kids. And I hate the word normal too, but just like normalizing these interactions, making it so that disabled people and non-disabled people coexist in the world because they do. So true. I mean, being sad or having pity over somebody being disabled is just there's no need for it it's like saying like i'm sorry you have brown hair (laughs) seriously (laughs) like really you know in terms of your perspective i mean is there any advice that you would give to moms you're you're you know you're somebody's daughter so (laughs) love your kids love your kids whether they're disabled or not love them and and make time for them and show them how wonderful they are um, allow your disabled kid to set boundaries, whether it's I don't want to go to therapy today or I'm not a fan of whoever's taking care of me right now. Like, allow them to set those because that'll be really helpful for when they're older. And just don't don't worry so much. Like, you got this. You, you kind of know what you're doing. I wish it was that easy. I know. You kind of know what you're doing. You got, you got, you got this. <laughs> the, the worrying part is really hard to curb, but... Yes. Yeah, I know. Sometimes I'm up at 3 a.m. and I'm like, am I doing everything right? Did I do something wrong today? Like, <laughs> Your kid is alive and happy and healthy for them. And that's really all that matters. We just I need to be that. moms. We need to just yeah. be parents. We need to be moms. We need to be Amen. dads. Amen. And we yeah. need to be, yeah, we need to be supportive, not loving. Not gurus, not mm. therapists, not... No. 
Whatever. Just Lino's mom or Cyrus's yeah. mom. Just good goddamn parents. <laughs> yeah, I do find if I ever hyper focus and I don't do this anymore but certainly when Cyrus was first born and there were a lot of uncertainties but when I hyper focused on his disability and his medical complexities I was not as good of a mom as I am just being like it's just my kid absolutely (laughs) any plans now for you know you're you're coming up on summer right are you done with school now I am done with school I got out May 5th um I had spent a week in New York City for a super secret project that I can't really tell anyone about yet. Um, so you're back. I'm back in, in Massachusetts and obviously celebrating my 21st and then going to Los Angeles for a wheelchair dance camp that I go to every year. Nice. Um, so we'll just be heading to that and then heading back to school. Honestly, there's not much going on for me. What's this next semester look like for you? Um, well, my first semester of junior year, so this next semester is going to be a lot of recruitment because fall semester is when our sororities do recruitment. And then I have, I think, five classes this semester. We'll see how I do with that. I might drop one. We'll see. Because last semester I had five and then I had to drop one because my chair ended up breaking right um, as we got back for, to school from Christmas break. The airline broke it and the oh, technician no. they sent to fix it did not fix it properly. So I fell out of my chair and had to go to the ER. <gasps> Lillian. Yeah, Lillian. it was it was crazy. It was bad. These damn uh, airlines. I just yeah, can't. it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> but you're okay now from that. I am okay now, but it was just I needed like at least drop one class so I could figure everything out. You know, it, I was obviously uncomfortable, and I was calling the wheelchair repair company, being like, "You done messed up," and like oh, no. trying uh. to get them to like fix it, and they were like, "We can't get a tech till next week," and I was like, "Then you gotta get." and they were like we can't get a rental for like another two weeks and it was just wild and what? it was just, there was just so much drama attached to it and i was like this is not how i wanted this for this semester to go oh my god that's like breaking someone's leg and being like well we're gonna cast that like two weeks from now we'll so <laughs> just like don't worry about anything during these two weeks <laughs> we figured it out i did most of my classes remotely which because I obviously didn't have a chair. And at the time, I didn't have a backup power chair. I just got a backup power mm. chair. So now I'll be able oh, to, good. to do that if it breaks. But at the time, I didn't have a backup one. So I was in my manual chair for most of it. And, like, doing my classes remotely because I can't propel myself. Yeah. <laughs> More than, like, two feet. Yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. But the school, the school was great. They were like, yeah, you can do your classes remotely. Like, we'll deliver you food. They deliver me food when it storms out, too, which is oh, great. Oh, my goodness. They're That's like, awesome. do you need anything? Like, how can we, can we go to the pharmacy and, like, get you a heating pad? Like, what do you, what do you need? They were awesome about the whole thing. And they were mad for me that the chair broke. <laughs> As they should be. Yeah. I'm mad for you. I'm yeah, honestly it was, flabbergasted. It I don't was, even know. It was wild. My caregiver was like, I've never heard your I'm angry voice until until now. You're like, well, yeah. <laughs> it came yes. out now. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's that, yeah. I don't know if you're still doing this, but you had wrote in a previous post about how like you like to every semester try to pick a class that's really kind of out of your comfort yes. zone. Oh, Are yes. you doing that this semester? I, I'm doing that. It's usually an extracurricular, not as so much of a class, uh, because, you know, my classes, I kind of have to go with what the credits want me to do. 
But I really liked that dance class I took. If you saw that one with the Harry Styles, I did dance. see that one. That's uh, exactly what so I was thinking. <laughs> I might be taking another one of those. We'll see if it works with my schedule um, this semester. Cause, I, cause I'd really want to do that again. But if not, if they have any more student plays, I would love to be in another student play. Awesome. And if we can live stream the student play, I will send you the live stream. Oh, yes, yes, please do. And we'll share it on oh our accounts. Yeah. I just have one last question, too. For, you know, the teenagers, maybe with disabilities, who are looking to go a very similar path, do you have any advice for them? I mean, whether it be finding a college and, and just going for it or yeah. having to navigate finding caregivers out of the state that you oh, don't know. That, that I don't have any advice for it because <laughs> I've barely figured that out. <laughs> um, but I would say just go for it. Rip the bandaid off and do it. Like, it's going to hurt. And you're going to be like, why am I doing this? Literally once a week, you're going to be like, why did I do this? Why did I go this far? But it is going to be so worth it when you look back and you say, I built my own community. I did that. And that's pretty cool. That's awesome advice. Thank you. That was awesome advice. (laughs) Yeah. Life can be intimidating sometimes. So, Lillian, we're so thankful that we had you here on the episode I'm so thankful for both of you guys. Thank you for being here and taking time out of your birthday day to talk with us. No, this was fun. Yeah, thank you so much, It was amazing. We'd love to have you on again. That would be so fun. Thank you so much for giving your perspective, giving your support paving that pathway for these kids and and guiding them. If anybody doesn't see how brilliant and amazing you are, they can honestly go fuck themselves. <laughs> but, you know, I, I am thankful for you and I am thankful for what you do. And I am just so grateful for you joining the conversation, these conversations with us, with everyone. I wouldn't have it any other way. I love both of your children very much. Even though I've never even met Lino, I already love him. <laughs> and I just want to be there and like it's hard paving the way like you're the only one and you have all these parents looking up to you and sometimes they will unnecessarily put a a lot of pressure on me to do things a certain way and so it took a lot of conversations with people and they were like you don't have to be perfect you just have to be you and so that's what I try to carry with me but I'm glad it's resonating with people and I'm glad that your children will hopefully have something to look up to by the end of my of an end of my journey here on earth we love you we do (laughs) and thank you for everybody who's tuning into this lillian she can be found on instagram at yours very truly lillian we will link that down below in the description of this episode and lillian we just hope you have an amazing birthday today oh yes yes and an amazing (laughs) summer so thanks everyone for listening bye everyone thanks again Thanks for listening to the Bitching and Bolusing podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe for future episodes. Previous episodes can be heard on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. If you like what we said, please be sure to give us a share. You can follow us on Instagram at Bitching and Bolusing. And you can visit us at www.bitchingandbolusing.com.